Listen, the Bible clearly says. You ever heard that before? Ever been somebody say that to you before? Like maybe right before they tried to tell you why you're wrong or sinful or not accepted. And then like when they do that, how can you even respond? Because obviously they're right because it's the word of God, right? But what does that even mean, word of God? And how can a like eclectic collection of ancient writings clearly say anything? Good questions. But for 2,000 years, reading and teaching what is in this collection of ancient writings has been at the heart of Christianity and what it means to follow Jesus. So what do we do? How can these writings make any sense to us now? How can they and, and do they even apply to us now thousands of years after they were first written? And if they do, how can we even understand what they're saying? I think those are good, fair questions and questions that really deserve honest answers. So let's talk about it together. Say the phrase, the Bible, and almost everyone has their own individual thoughts and feelings and memories come to the surface. Many are positive and many aren't so positive. But think about it, no other collection of writings has so shaped Western civilization and really world history as the Bible. Love it, hate it, whether you've ever read it or not, it has had an incredible impact on your life. In fact, the Bible is the most read, impactful, misunderstood, and misused set of writings in history. Think about it. These writings are quoted as an argument, or were quoted as an argument for the abolition of slavery, while at the exact same time, they're quoted to argue for slavery. They were used to argue against, often used to argue against war, and at the same time used to argue for going to war. They've been used to argue for communism, and at the same time used to condemn communism and promote capitalism. In fact, they've been used recently to argue that we, we shouldn't wear masks, and also to argue that we should wear masks. Passages from these writings are quoted by almost every major politician, including Donald Trump, including Joe Biden, and even including Vladimir Putin. So what is going on? How can these wildly and widely different ideas come from the same writings? The problem is many of us don't understand what the biblical writings actually are. See, some of us use the biblical writings to, to find a list of rules. And usually it's rules that benefit us or our position or our power or our ego. Some of us use the biblical writings as a collection of true religious doctrines in order to discern who is in and who is out. And usually we discern them as we're the ones who are in, right? But, see, first and foremost, the biblical writings aren't a list of rules or a... a collection of true doctrine. The biblical writings are a story. And when we discover and understand the story of the Bible, we discover and understand our own story. And so to help us understand what the Bible is and how to read this collection of writings that are in it, I want to start with sharing an idea from professor, theologian, author, Anglican bishop, N.T. Wright, because he has a 
a lens through which we can explain the narrative of the biblical writings. And he explains them as like the acts of a play. And so what follows in this episode has really been gathered from a few of his writings. And so I might even quote him by accident when not, without even like giving him credit. So we're giving him credit for this entire episode. And we've talked about this analogy before, but I want to go a bit more in depth because really this is one of the most helpful models to see the overarching narrative and story of the biblical writings. Because the story of the biblical writings is the story of how creator God has broken into our existence to offer a way to be truly human and to eradicate evil and its effects forever and then to ultimately renew all of creation. It's a great story. But this story is not just something we understand or or study or even retell. It's a story we as individuals and as a community are invited into. In fact, the story of the Bible is our story. But to know where we fit in this story, we have to understand the whole story. And so this framework that we're going to talk about, it's not like this hard and fast doctrine that you have to believe in order to be a Jesus follower. In fact, very few things actually are. This is just a very extremely helpful way to view what the biblical writings are talking about. And so N.T. Wright breaks up the biblical writings in like five acts of a play. I've added a sixth at the end, which we'll talk about. And so this play, this narrative starts at the beginning, act one, creation, as we see in Genesis chapter one and two. In this first act, it's a very poetic story of God creating everything out of nothing, creating everything perfect, and good and ultimately creating humanity as like the pinnacle of his creation. Humanity is innocent and pure, created to enjoy and take care of all of creation and to ultimately live in and enjoy a perfect face-to-face -face relationship of love and trust with creator God. And as we're reading, as soon as we have a chance to even like imagine and wonder what that could actually be like, we're moved dramatically to act two which we call the fall, as we see in Genesis 3, chapter 3 through 11, where we see humanity's representatives choose to reject this relationship with God and, and refuse to trust the goodness of God, and where they try to invent their own independent idea of what it means to be human apart from their relationship with God. It's in this act that we see sin enter the story and watch as the results wreak havoc in God's once perfect creation. But all is not lost. There's a spark of hope foreshadowed at the beginning of this second act, that God will come and defeat sin, which then leads us into act three, which we call Israel. In this act, we see God's purpose throughout the biblical story is to rescue his people through whom he will restore and complete his purpose for all people and all creation. And so we watch as God initiates a relationship with a man, Abraham, based solely on trust. And in this relationship, he renews his promise from act one, that he is going to bless, he's going to save all of humanity through Abraham. And so Abraham becomes a, the patriarch of a family that becomes the nation of Israel. And this nation is rescued from slavery. They're given laws that set them apart as God's people, God's people chosen to show the world who God is and to prepare the world for his coming renewal and ultimately ushering in the promised offspring, the Messiah, 
who will bring God's restoration. And we watch as we read the biblical writings in Act 3 as different generations grapple with understanding who, who God is and, and how to live their part of the story. And this act ends with a promise. A promise that something new is coming. That God's purpose will soon be fulfilled. And so in the climactic, decisive, central fourth act, God breaks into humanity, becoming one of us. See, the, the main character throughout the whole narrative is finally revealed. Jesus of Nazareth. And so we call this act four, Jesus, which we see in the four gospels. And the storyline of the earlier acts are fulfilled through and in Jesus. We see evil confronted and judged. We see the effects of sin start to unravel as he starts healing diseases and and even defeating death. And we see forgiveness and renewal ushered in and, and new creation begun. And this pivotal fourth act then carries into Act 5, the church, starting with the book of Acts and going through all of the letters in the New Testament. And in this fifth act, Jesus continues the restoration, the new creation through his people, the church. See, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is renewing individual minds and hearts, making them into a renewing community of all ethnicity that renews the world itself by telling and living out the story of the previous acts that have culminated in Jesus. And so this act, this is the act we are now in. This is the act where we have roles, but our roles don't necessarily have a script for them. And so we often have to improvise as we go. An improvisation that is based on Jesus' command of love and that is informed by what that love looked like in the first century as seen in the New Testament writings. See, this, understanding this, is what can make such a difference when we think about the Bible. See, this is what clears up so many of our arguments. This is what answers so many questions people have about the Bible. For example, why do we say the Old Testament is our scriptures and and the word of God, but don't actually follow the rules in it? Like, why don't we stone our disobedient kids? And why do Christians eat pork when it clearly says not to eat pork? Because when you're like in a play, remember in school, if you're in a play, you don't play the role in the next act simply by repeating the script from the earlier acts. That wouldn't make any sense, right? No, you play out the narrative of the current act, but use the previous acts to inform your character, to inform your role as you play out the whole story. See, we aren't simply repeating repeating earlier acts, but through the Holy Spirit and prayer, we use what came before to help inform what our role is now. And so the question now is, what are the appropriate ways for us as individuals and communities of Jesus followers to improvise the rest of the script? We use what came before to guide us. See, we use the beginning of the story to inform us how to play our unique role in the rest of the story. That's what Paul meant in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. 
See, we don't follow the exact rules in the Old Testament, but we learn what the script was like to inform our role now. And as we play out our role in the fifth act, we look forward to what I'm calling the sixth act as, as we glimpse it in parts of the book of Revelation, where it's the ultimate culmination of the story and really the beginning of a new eternal storyline. And so act six is the new creation, Revelation. And we see it perfectly in Revelation 21, one through five. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. The new creation is what we look forward to in act six. So we are all invited to play our unique role in God's story of renewal, both individually and as a community, to use what came before us to improvise our own scenes in the grand story. But it's not a free-for-all. See, we aren't all acting off of different scripts, and we're going to talk more about that in the next episode. But as we learn our role inside this one story, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to read and pray Psalm 119.73. You made me, you created me. Now give me the sense to follow your commands. Meaning, show me how to live out my role in the ultimate play. So read that and pray that by asking, God, what does it look like to play my role in your story today? Read that once a day and then ask that question. Think about it. It is no small thing to be invited to play a part in the divine, all-encompassing story of the universe. But God has invited each of us to add our own unique storyline and our own unique role to this story. The Bible doesn't have to be divisive. It doesn't have to be boring, and it doesn't have to be dry. And it wasn't written to be oppressive or to be a weapon used against anyone. The story it presents is the only story that can truly bring life. It can truly bring renewal to our souls, to our neighbors, and to our world. So read it and discover the divine story and your place in it. Because when we allow God's story to become our story, we find our true purpose and role. watching part one of our new series, How to Read, Understand, Use Your Bible. Uh, this content is put out by Cross Creek Community Church. We're looking forward to the next couple installments of this series. Uh, make sure you like and subscribe uh, to our YouTube channel. If you follow us on the podcast, subscribe to that. You can also review us on Apple or iTunes, and that helps other people find this information. 
We are a church in Salem. We are for Salem and we have a for Salem challenge coming up for you this June. We'd like to support our friends over at Union Gospel Mission, uh, specifically Samanka Place. There is some information on the screen and in the show notes if you're listening on the podcast, but we're collecting some non-perishable food items that they are desperately in need of. So add a couple of these things to your list and then bring them over to Cross Street Community Church where we gather uh, the second and fourth Sundays of the month. We're meeting at Gateway Foursquare Church over on Idlewood Drive in South Salem. And we'll be driving those things over to Samanka Place. If you are not local and you'd still like to help out, we have links in the show notes for how you can do that. Uh, thank you for being for Salem. Thank you for being for your neighbor and partnering with us and Union Gospel Mission in this very simple but helpful way. We look forward to seeing you on the second and fourth Sundays. A uh, couple changes to our summer schedule. We will be gathering in the larger side of the building over at Gateway Forest Square Church. Uh, they have air conditioning over there and we anticipate a fairly warm summer here in Salem, Oregon, so we'll be enjoying the other side of the building. So don't get confused if you come on the second or fourth Sunday at 4.30 and we are on the other side of the building. We will have signs for you. Look forward to seeing you. Thanks for participating in our For Salem opportunity and for watching this episode. We'll see you next week.